Watch this. To another episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast, I am Tom Mills, and I'm joined by Sam Williams. Thomas, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, very good. A little better than I was a couple of days ago. Mm, well, we're going to get on to that, Mr. Gouge, and Sir Bruce Fitzpatrick. Bruce. Good evening. Sorry the sir came back. <laughs> back to old times. <laughs> just, just habit, just did it, sorry. Are you well, Bruce? Doing all right. Doing okay. Very jealous to miss out on your little excursion down south. But was a little tour diaries episode. Very miniature tour this one, to be honest mm. with you. But felt like we should do a little podcast. And given the fact that you can secure the annual leave for this one, I thought it'd be nice to have a front row seat for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, as you say, Sam, I can play the sort of straight man who asks <laughs> the the probing questions or the natural questions. So. Um, we're not just going to talk about like the 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 high level things here is that in the last few days uh sam and i had a little trip down south we went via runnymede where we recorded the last podcast mm. that got released um and then we pretty much drove through the worst weather that 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 zeus could throw at us and then got to um got down to the south coast and um had a lovely day at Royal St. George's with the um, Partners Day that was put on by Royal St. George's, which is very, very pleasant indeed. And then we went across in the morning and played North Foreland, the short par three course. So we're just going to be kind of running through that shortly, really. Um, so how do we kick this off then, chaps? I mean, how, what are we going to... Um, well, I've got a question do... for you. Okay, go. I'm conscious this, the theme of this podcast is, is probably more about road trips in general, isn't it? And the idea of just, you know, the kind of... And a little segue... Gav's been a large part of my weekend, so I'm sure that it might as well okay. be a large, large part of this podcast. Okay, so. okay, we can, yeah, well, we see. I knew we were in trouble on that Monday morning when we drove well, We'd down, arranged uh, to have a game, didn't we? I mean, we didn't just decide on running need purely for <laughs> historical significance. And, conference suite yeah, some sort of pathetic fallacy with the, the, the state of the professional game and the recent um, conclusion of the Masters. We were hoping to have a game near there, but you, you were sadly informed me on the way on the way down i was driving out of london you were driving down from bromsgrove and you informed me that your body wasn't up to it was it sam i was just in absolute pieces I don't, I are think, you sure it's gout i'm pretty sure it's gout i'm mm. i'm really I've, i suffer with it on and off but the pain is so intense and it's so acute it can only be gout and i know that you know with my birthday last week which rolled into a couple of big meals probably not drinking enough water. Then there was the Masters Friday, which was a monster piss up all day. Then I played Come on, that's a, a bit vulgar. Can we, can we, can we, can we <laughs> okay. sorry, which can we a, just moderate which, that as an upstanding, okay. which was a, an upstanding okay, okay, member okay, okay, of society, which is a, which is, was a monster boozy day really. And then the Saturday I played two matches. So I had to play my scratch knockout Blackwell, mm. which jokingly I played against this chap called Dave. We all know Dave, great bloke. Well, yeah. the three of us know Dave. Top bloke. Um, Golf's like really sharp at the moment. I jokingly been walking around the club saying I'll just I'll only joke. need two. Well, I've really been saying I'll only need two hours with Dave, which obviously I knew yeah. what was going to happen. I was going to be in for the battle of my life, and that's what happened. 
The reason I was saying <laughs> yeah, it wasn't going to take me too long the was worst because I had to play my foursomes the, the, game. The story was going after. this way, actually. He was like, he was saying to me, like, was like oh, I'm going to have him dusting by the 14th. It's going to be no problem at all. And then, like, I'd come <laughs> into the clubhouse later on the day, and people were going, yeah, he's been telling me he's going to be dusted by the 12th, so it should be fine. And then someone's <laughs> like, he said he's going to be beating him 10 and 8 and walk straight out. So, of hang 10, on. That's fine. so I then agreed I was going to play my foursomes match straight after, at like 11.30. So we, me and Dave went off at 8.30. Obviously, the match goes 21 holes and I lose down 18, which was the only way it could have possibly ended. He played mm. great. He totally deserved to win. Hubris. Um, that is hubris. So by then, I'm an hour late for my foursomes match, which meant I walked straight to the first tee again and then played the foursomes match, which lasted for 18 holes. So by the end, I've played 39 holes. I've not sat down. I've not come off the course and I've not drank any water. And dehydration is an absolute trigger for gout. Felt a little bit fruity in the foot on Sunday. Monday, I was limping really bad. Like, I think your bro, when we were at Runny Mead, took a video of me walking in from the car and sent the video saying live scenes of Tiger Woods walking into yeah, Runny Mead or something. It was really, really bad. Question for you, though, Sam. As someone who likes to bang on and on, quite rightly so, about the wonders of Blackwell Golf Club and how one of those such wonders is the spike bar, which is a mandatory stop after nine holes. You said you hadn't had a, hadn't had a drink yeah, the whole happen. way around. Yeah, it didn't happen it because didn't, I had to get the rush done in the morning. And then because we teed off an hour late on the Saturday, sorry, on Saturday afternoon, the guys that were teeing off was like, I, I really need to get home. Like the dogs are going to be platting their legs by the end of this one. So, um, yeah, the whole thing was just a little bit finicky. Yeah, like crossing the legs. You know, dogs need to get nip, nipped out. Really anyway, nice. He needs to get back for the dogs. Um, High drama, isn't it? But you know what? I, I don't know if there's a correlation between gout sufferers and really top-level golf clubs. I just feel like Blackwell's, Blackwell's like the gout fast lane, isn't it? Just, just <laughs> you know, I think... No, no, I'm not having this. First of all, <laughs> yeah, yeah gout is like a, like a genetic thing. It's also hereditary. Yeah, like we're not having this in the we can't just We can't just have some sort of black hole of gravitation where Blackwell just seems to pull in <laughs> nothing but gout sufferers. There's, I just there's felt like my whole diet for the last diet. week had been very gouty. Well, just it's a build-up of uric acid, isn't it? Fundamentally, like that, that gout, it has this kind of like mythical, or almost like opaque kind of connotation. Like, what is it? <laughs> is it? I'm right thinking it's kind of like a form of arthritis, and it's like build-up of uric acid. It's like build-up of uric acid, but it goes into like like parts of your joint where it can't get through. So then it's stuck there. It's like needles in your foot. Right. And and there's the idea, because I'm fairly sure I'm going to butcher this, but is it from too much beer or too much no, wine? No, it is hereditary. It, it, it is hereditary. I think it's but a it bit can of be a misconception that it's diet. steak and red wine. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, asparagus, really high in uric acid. Shellfish, really high in uric acid. Um, I don't think red wine is great for it. I don't think alcohol is great for most things, period, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's nice dehydration is a killer. Yeah. So, um, look, anyway, I was in a lot of pain. Right. Left foot was it. And you know you have to turn into your left foot to hit it hard. And I, I turn into the left foot quite hard, you know. So, um, I was really worried about the prospect of playing golf. Mm. So, sadly, the golf on Monday was a bit of a casualty. Probably no bad thing, given that the lovely... Easter sunshine that we'd had through Friday, Saturday, Sunday went away and we were hit with a bit of a, yeah, some, some downpours and some sunny spells and pretty high winds. I journeyed back to London Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and then you, you guys carried on down to, down to the, the Kent coast. So yeah, but before we did, like we were like, oh, let's, obviously 
we were going to organise lunch, but then it was like, I'll just get down there because you know when you got like you're halfway through a trip and you're like, we'll just get down there. And then we were quite shy on petrol anyway, so we just sort of jumped into into the service station. And I've got really on elite on the snacks. I, I feel like we need to. Road snacks are so important when you're when you're on a road trip. You really like the sweets, don't you? So Those I'm a things big... you bought the natural sweet company. They were of a different order. Yeah. Really? So I like gummies. And um, by the way, if you like sort of anything gummy, um, Aldi do a really quite fine sugar-free gum, uh, like like a they're like wine gums that are sugar-free. They're like a quarter of the calories. It's quite magnificent. Um, but that's like my my vice. I which, mean, sorry, Bruce, which I can't imagine stations? you snack. Bruce, are you like nothing but apples and bananas? No, no, I've got a really sweet tooth, but Harry, my brother, he is he eats very healthily. So I think that influence Yeah, wears off on me. And oh, service stations. What are you loading in for? It's usually gotta be some sort of sandwich and or salad or Pasta dish, yeah. inappropriate road trip. But but I'd probably then go. I'd probably make it. You know, uh, top it up with like a protein bar and some yogurt, and then I just feel like I could go ham on some. I tell you what's my worst actually, the chocolate cornflake like cluster thing that you Ooh, see in those. Times. Yeah. I could just do a whole like tub mm. of that. You see, you that's know. so if different. If you go, if you go to has got M and S, you've got like have a tub of that, and then like a tub of there's two for five pounds something. So you can have a tub of like yeah. Chocolate rolls with it as well. Oof. Yeah, I do. have really cornered the I market, haven't they? On sort of like four pound fifty for confectionery treats for the road. I mean, like they've absolutely nailed it. Mm. Everything Tom brought back to the car had a cartoon picture on the on the content <laughs> packaging. Like it was, it was just yellow, wine gums, sugary and stuff. White, yeah, it was all just bright, saturated colours on the thing. You just knew it was absolute garbage. Um, that but that, that wagon wheel company, they put on it was mostly. And then rare. driving down. The weather was so bad. It was like, you know, when you have to really concentrate because it's <laughs> so heavy, the rain. And we, I think we were pretty much driving and following the cloud all the way down to Kent. Um, it's stressful. It was absolutely fierce. However, we did get to George's and then the pain in the foot did abate slightly, whether that was due to the almighty amount of Pringles we'd consumed on the way down. Um, it abated Pringles is slightly. another good one, actually. I'm not done with it. I'm, I'm, really yeah. I'm not done with snacks. What was... Can we, can we just, sorry, can we just go back and clarify which st- service station? Because you're on the M25. It's a Sainsbury's petrol station. We went to Sainsbury's. Oh. So it wasn't yeah. even like, I mean, Chobham Services. Sorry, it's not Chobham, actually. It's Cobham. Cobham yeah. Service. I'm getting two places confused there. Cobham and Clackett Lane, but I think it's probably more Cobham. Clackett Lane's all right. So yeah. for anyone we, that listens to this that doesn't live in the UK, obviously our, ser- our motorway network has different service stations. And these are generally owned by, what would you say, like, you know, parent companies aren't they and they eat some of them are big and have loads yeah. of options and some of them are minging grotesque but have a few options and i actually prefer the latter mm-hmm. we talk about we've talked about it a lot on our trips like i'd say one of the worst services in on the planet is beckensfield because mm-hmm. it's just so big it's like driving like, into heathrow airport but you're only yeah. going there i prefer that and a, and a sausage roll no but it takes you about an hour to get into the services yeah, in the car that's what park. i mean it's like heathrow airport it's ridiculous um, the, no, the worst for me, there's what oh, this is really frustrating because I can visualize it as clear as day. Oh, it's it's north, it's on the M6 somewhere. I've what, stopped into it Birmingham? once or twice. I hadn't stopped into it for a while prior to earlier this. I think it was December time we stopped in and I'd not been there for years. And I was just like, the 
uh, you kind of turn up there and it's 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 certainly not a big grand service station like Beaconsfield or a Cobham. It's it's like quite small but densely packed and has it got McDonald's? Yeah, I think it might even be a Burger King, but before you oh, even... that's where it's gone wrong. Yeah, you're like 10 foot away from the main entrance and you can smell that mixture of like stale piss. Is it close like to Birmingham or close to Manchester? Oh, it's closer to Manchester. It might even be north of that. I can't... It could be Nutsford or Sandbach. It might, it might. Sandbach has Sandbach has the McDonald's. That's the thing you get really good knowledge. Yeah. Like you spend this amount of time driving to golf clubs, you get really good knowledge. Is it Sandbach or Sandbach? No, Sandbach. Sandbach. Keels the one before, Sam which is like Junction 15, and that's like a Starbucks. That's quite easy to deal with, and it's got quite a nice little navigation through. But the M6, because it's quite an old and very busy motorway, a lot of the service stations are all a bit grim and a bit sort of bit pokey but then you go around london there's loads of developments into them and you've got these like places like beaconsfield which are huge where express Nando's, lanes a bit of a goat yeah yeah but i'd also say that like, i feel like you know these i'm just we're, we're just regurgitating you know, being sam has spent like about best part of about 12 hours in the car in the last few days so we're just regurgitating chat we've already done but i will repeat um burger king really lets itself down on services mm. They just don't try. They just really? know they've got you. They know you want to eat. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to charge you £9 for a Whopper. And we're not even going to heat it. We had it's one at like, seat in Carew, and I think we just bought two coffees. And even then, they tried to kill us on the cost of it. It was quite really? annoying. because Yeah, because if Burger King Is it King much more expensive spent... than McDonald's? Yeah, it is. And it, the, the really annoying thing is... If Burger King, because they obviously know that they're struggling, so rather than just rather than just think, how do we make the product better and capture more market share? What they've thought is actually we'll just double down on price because we'll. It's like you know, W. H. Smith is another good example, which again for American listeners is was a bookstore, but now sells sells mainly confectionery. It just catches people at their most vulnerable, so they put the stores in places where you have no choice. And Burger King are usually primed and ready to sell you a heinous burger for about eight quid. Really? Whereas McDonald's, I just feel, is so steady and consistent, yeah. and they never nail you on the price. McDonald's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm partial to. I, I imagine you like a Leon. chicken legend. Do you like a Leon, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, I do. But again, sometimes there, I just like undercooked rice and you know a kind of Spartan portion of chicken, and you just feel like well. I've not really got much out of that. I should have just gone for a McDonald's, like, mm. you know, five chicken selects and a McChicken legend and a quarter pounder or something. You might as well just go for it. I think we're in for a penny and for a pound, isn't it, at that point? I think it's the chips that make you feel like like shit. You know, a few hours <sighs> later, that, the chips, yeah, I think you, the taste comes back in your mouth. The aftertaste, is, it's just like, mm. Do any of you, do any no. of you ever go to McDonald's and, um, and you buy, like, I don't know, so I'll go in and I'll... I have a big man. You're a big man for wraps, aren't you? You're big a big man. Yeah, I like, the, I like yeah, the rapid day. I like the rapid tortilla. day is usually day. But then just because like I've got sheer guilt, like I'd order a large you know, wrap of the day meal and then a ch- cheeky cheeseburger chaser. And then because I feel so guilty about it, they're like, oh, what do you want to drink? Water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> like, yeah. So taken. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, you've got to just go with it. You've got to go yeah. with the you know, the the temptation to have something sugary to offset the salt. Like, all this stuff works in, like, opposites, doesn't it? You see, if you want to go for true nutritional suicide, you've got to go for, like, something salty like a McChicken sandwich or, 
a quarter pound, a cheeseburger, whatever it is. Then the chips on top of it with like a barbecue sauce. Then you have like a fucking sweet drink just to wash it down. Then you go into like a McFlurry or some chocolate or your sweet mm. gums. And you just keep riding that wave I of salt, sugar, dry, creamy. Yeah. You like the milkshakes? Milkshake. Sorry, that was a probably better example than a Coke or something. Yeah. Because mm. then you've got like the smooth, creamy milkshake offsetting mm. like the crunchy, dry. Ch- yeah. And it's just, you can be stuck down a rabbit hole there. How many, how many <laughs> you just bags, can't get this out is of such it. a digression. How many bags of fruit do you reckon McDonald's are shifting? You know, they put them, you can have yeah, them quite a few. Quite a few. I think so. Yeah. For the same reasons that you order your water, parents will order the. Mm. You know, I, I I don't bag on McDonald's as a principle. <laughs> I rate them as a business. I think they're consistent. Brand loyalty. Um, I actually quite like they've done with their places. They they feel good, don't they? they? They don't feel bad. Whereas you come out of Burger King, you feel like you've been taken advantage of. It, the the food is heinous. Um, you now realise why you never you might forget get Ill. there. Yeah, exactly. The reason you, it, it looks dirty. Like I, I'm just. I'm just putting think, it out there that, you, that, that, you know, when I'm driving, I'll usually hold fire for, you know, usually a, a sort of a McDonald's one, or if I've got to stop one with a BK, there's no way I'm going to be buying anything from there. So just a general rule of thumb. It's hard to know my favorite service station, but we, we drove back from, from Kent and I said to you, where, you know, where do we stop? We're going to need to get some breakfast. And the decision was, do we go to Beaconsfield or Cobham Services, which is huge, or do we go to Clackett Lane, which is tiny, and there's nobody there? And yes, it was very grim. It stank. But actually, it was quite nice, the fact you could just walk in and out, and you're, you're back on the road again. What, Clackett Lane, this is? Yeah, it's a grim service station, <laughs> I mean, but it's very <laughs> amazing. They've got though, haven't they? I don't uh, know, but they're, they're a gout, they're a gout dream, because it's about 10 yards from, from car to door. So exactly. It's like, and, and that's why it stinks of urine. guys i'm going to move us on to the golf if you don't mind so uh, i wanted to talk about ronald mcdonald and where he's gone but okay let's go on to the golf so the partner's day was obviously at raw st george's which we'll come on to and by the way wow that place was in unbelievable condition um but when we recorded the podcast with paul craven the second part at the start of the year paul told us that over christmas he'd gone to north fall and par three course with james lear the secretary there um and a few others and played 72 holes in a day in the bleak winter um, and spoke very highly of it. And I was absolutely itching to go and play it. What so we did. What are, what are both of your experiences of par three courses? I have you ever I, played I one? Like they're not that common. I mean, no, not they're not. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I just started playing, playing golf and you know, like when, when people just start, I mean, you guys won't know because you were you were too young. But when you when you're a bit older, you just start. You get like heroin hooked, and it's like, you know, I couldn't get enough. Like wherever I drove, I took my clubs, and I I kind of sneak away from like my lunch hour and go play golf because I was just so hyper obsessed with it. When those were the days, my wife used to live in uh, Litchfield, and Litchfield Golf and Country Club have a par three course. No way, did have one. Certainly did have one. Only nine holes. Um, but I think that's the only ever par three course I've ever played. Bruce, oh, what about like you? the pitch and pat, maybe? Yeah, I think my mind just naturally jumps to the Balgove at St Andrews. Um, yeah, I've never played that. Is that where is, where, I mean, where is yeah, that? you could say there's some that are like par fours on them. They're not really. They're all you know, with the exception of maybe one hole. If you get the wind wrong, you can hit all of them. 
with your tee shot. Um, that is just by the Golf Academy. In fact, I think it might have been part of the original routing of the Eden before they switched things around. It might not have been. Okay. But, um, yeah, the, 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 the Bow Gable, the Royal Bow Gervais, as some people like to call <laughs> it out there. It's if quite it nice. was part I mean, of the Eden, that'll yeah. have some, some Harry Colt stuff in it. Mm, yeah, I think it's just too. Yeah, there's, there's not much going on actually, so I don't think is it, it could be. Maybe is it good? It's or a strap time it, that goes in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like a nice place to work on your game. I mean, I'm trying to think where else sort of springs to mind. The Wee Course at Glen Eagles again, not strictly. Ronan Rafty likes that. Actually, mm. no, I, no, that is a par three. That is a par three mm. course. Yeah, you could say again. You I can remember going on holiday there. with my parents to Torquay a couple of times as a kid, and I'd have been like maybe ten, eleven, or twelve or something. And this this hotel called like the Palace Hotel. It was like it was a sort of place that served afternoon tea and the bar shuts at eight o'clock in the evening because most of the people going there are sort of you know ninety years age plus. But they've got a little par three course in mm. the back in the sort of back of it. And when you're a kid, you're like ten, eleven, or twelve. It's like it's almost all of a sudden it becomes perfect size. You know, the first hole, which was probably like 120 yards, I had to absolutely cream a five wood to get it up there. Um, <laughs> and I remember playing like two or three laps of it, and that was amazing. I really enjoyed that. I can even remember mm. the holes now exactly to this day. And then played a bit of golf at Kings Norton as a junior as well, which is nearby, and they've got a 12-hole par-3 course there, which is actually really good again. Um, Isn't there a par-3 course near us where they do, like, competition on it Nail yeah, Nailco Hall is meant to be great I they like the seniors thing there don't they it's sponsored yeah, by right. like farm, farm foods, foods or something like that yeah well, you get I'd a few good players we should do a course diaries on it we should 100%, 100% go and play that um, so I have a little special thing for par 3 courses like I would feel I, you know very lucky got to go to Valderrama a couple of years ago and I was absolutely desperate to see the par 3 course and it was absolutely amazing. Where is it? You know, it's like, um, if you think off the right of the ninth hole at Valderrama as you play back, it's out to the left there. You sort of play around some of the old little Spanish villas. If you ever get a chance to go oh. there, you should really make a push to play the par three course and build the day out. You can take buggies, you can put a few beers on the cart, and it's it's really good fun. So um, if you're looking back, if you're at the clubhouse and you're looking back down the ninth hole... Yeah, the left on the over on the left, so the left right of the putting right green, the over that as way. you're playing it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, at the it's risk really of uh, at the risk of alienating those of us that haven't played Valderrama, um, or Kings Norton or the Palace Palace Hotel. But, um, anyway, but, I have a special thing for par three courses. Interesting. Do you think like there's the Kings Norton's a, a good example? Twenty seven hole club, St George's Hill, another twenty seven hole club. Um, do you think sometimes they, these clubs have got this little bit of a, a little bit of extra land? Not you know maybe not enough to get two courses out. They kind of stick another nine in. It kind of missing a trick on, you know maybe doing a bit more. I think Woburn have got really good short short game area. Yeah, well I I've put not that been on there, Instagram think... earlier, didn't I? Like we asked people where's their favourite, and we need to talk about North Fallen. But most of the par three courses I've played. In fact, almost all of them have been bolt-ons to existing golf developments, either a resort or a place that's got a bit of extra land. And yet, when we played North Foreland, we were like, I wonder how many acres this occupies. Really cool bunkering. Like, the course mm. is a Fowler and Simpsons. So, you know, a few people saw some pictures we posted and said, oh, the bunkering looks quite similar to the... It's like Blackwell Links bunkering or whatever, I think someone said. Because it's got some of the wavy stuff. And that's what they have on the short course as well. And it probably only takes up maybe like five acres, maybe 10, maybe. I mean, I'm not an expert, but 
it's not much land and they've got 18 greens and you play out and you know there's no trees or anything it's just sort of wide open you see an expanse of greens yellow pins for the front nine red for the back um anything from sort of 60 yards to i think about 130 and all the greens have got these mm. massive contours and it's all on chalk so they get really quick and fast draining greens they're not linksy but they're sort of super sort of spinny and receptive and there's no better feeling than firing in a wedge from 110 and trying to was it back off the back edge back towards the pin like it's the most addictive thing ever like you could do it all day where is this place, North Forland? So it's like the Sandwich Deal Prince's. About like half where? an hour from George's. So we were staying uh-huh. at Rawson George's, and it's if you drive out, it's kind of out sort of you go past Ramsgate and to Margate out that way. Yeah. Um, so they've got an eighteen-hole Fowler and Simpson course out there, which is meant to be really good. Um, as I say, it's more sort of cliff-top chalk ground, um, but the par three course, what a lot of fun that was. And you whiz around that in what? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Hour and a half tops. Yeah. So we played with James Sparks, who's a really talented sort of photographer, videographer, um, and sort of messaged him and said, "Oh, if you're about," and I'd forgotten he was a member at North Falland. He was like, "Yeah, great. I'll meet you at half seven. And he lives in Margate, works for himself. And you think, "God, that's so cool." He probably goes up there every day in the summer, knocks a few wedges around. He was sneaky good as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was real sneaky good. I've just been off tour for a minute because I'm just doing. I was on Google Maps and uh, measuring the area of North Forland Par Three Course. It's eleven point seven acres. Now that is so doable. Didn't seem so doable for certain areas. Push a bit of earth around. Put some crazy greens in there. Tea boxes, were, tea boxes were mats as well, so it's like mega easy to maintain. Like mm. You're not going to have to keep filling in having, dirt. Having said that, make, you know, mega easy to maintain. The greens were all like good. I mean, the problem with par three courses, as as it will be, is if you have, and this Northland didn't have this, so just, just carry that. But if you've got non-conscientious players, it's obviously going to get a lot of balls land on it, so you yeah. just get... But it was like, that's going to be one of the biggest problems. But the greens were really good. They were like you know, running well, they were quite pure, they were receptive, it was like, it was up on a cliff, it was perfect, it was just... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. that, that would make sense, like the, yeah, the concern with par threes, I guess, is from a maintenance standpoint, you could just have a thousand pitch marks to do, you know, if you're, if you're a greenkeeper there, you're trying to look after the course there, so from a maintenance standpoint, but I wonder where, like, you know, how they fit with, because what you're talking about there, and I guess the courses we've mentioned so far have been all out, like genuine par three courses. Because we've also got a fondness for the likes of Sunningdale Heath, which mm-hmm. is primarily par three holes, but equally has some longer holes in there that I guess means it's not in the category of a yeah, And Anstra, there was another one that someone mentioned, yeah. which is, you know, formulates five and a half thousand yard golf course, but <laughs> yeah, it's a slight stretch. <laughs> But Anstruth has got like two fours, I think, and there's some yeah. really long threes in there. So there's different. You can stretch this out a bit. Yeah. But the, but the we should the, just that, that should be a thing. We should just go and hunt for par three courses or courses under like four and a half thousand yards. Someone suggested one called Rudding Park. It's meant to be quite nice. <laughs> I mean, back of a fag packet stuff. I mean, I didn't pick up a scorecard at North Forland, but um, nine holes, about 120. Um, 18 holes, sorry, about 120 yards was the longest, but there were some that were like 50 yards. So you're probably looking at courses circa 
2,200, 2,300 yards. It's so good for your game. So and, the, and the, with the greens, like, honestly, like we're not, I'm not overblowing this. The greens have got huge swales and, and slopes and stuff. Mm. And they could put the pins in bowls and you could have you could have loads of hole-in-ones, like Augusta on the par three thing. And they can put them in spots that are absolutely terrifying. You just cannot short-side yourself. Yeah, like, I think and it's a lot of fun. And it was, 16th we played. Yeah. Was the, they put the pin on, like, a, on the top of a hill. And it was like, I don't know how I'm going to get close to that. Well, that's just, yeah, really the most it. exciting part of it, I think. And you, yeah, very, very rare to come across a lot of golf courses, but I guess par threes in particular is like very interesting green complexes that afford you a, a number of different pin positions. But it kind of goes full circle. Like the maintenance point that you raised earlier, Tom, that I P backed on, you know, if you have bigger greens with with more interesting swales and runoff areas, that, that probably in some different lengths as well that probably makes it easier to maintain i, I guess in that you're going to spread the wear rather than having like a one very small kind of little green that is just going to get constantly bombarded in the same spots with a wedge i don't know i think but i do think if i if we if i had access to that i think i think i i might i'd, I'd certainly play as many rounds on that as i played on the main course because just to sharpen up the short game, you know? It's like, it's just out there, it's quick, it's it's fun, it's it's like practice, but in a, in a game format where you can kind of keep score on, it's not just like going to the practice range just hitting chips, you know? It's like... Three clubs I'd, I'd and you're done, that. aren't you? It'd be so good. I actually crave having a cool par three course nearby. We need to go and play Nell Cup. Yeah, we should do that. Um, That's enough if I had stars. a par three bucket list, top of that would probably be... Castle Stewart one. We did the course. Oh, well, yeah, as well. Yeah. 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 And that was all mown turf. That was nuts. Like when he went into the detail that got into that. I think that's open since we've last been there. Yeah. I thought that was closed down. No, no, no. I think it's open. Oh, I thought it was I... more closed down to make way for the second course, but maybe I've got that wrong. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know. I hope we haven't missed the boat. Hopefully, not missed the boat. But I'd heard maybe the short course was being rejigged on the basis that there's there's going to be another another course now that it's known as Cabot Highlands but yeah maybe that maybe that's just a real curveball or a white ball for me I don't know I have to check that well I think we're going to either way it would be nice to go and hunt out a few more little par three mm. courses and I would be desperate to know if people listening to this pod have got some crackers that we've not mentioned that would be worthy of of, of seeing um, I would very much like if anyone does know them. It would be really cool to do just a little par three thing. Like I'm, yeah. I'm obsessed that one day we'll accumulate all this sort of stuff that we through what we've played. We could start to build a repository of the great par three holes of of, uh, of par three courses we've seen. You know that sort of stuff. Um, I mean RNGC, another great example there. But I was like, literally oh, saying like only that's that's hard uh, to get on the Augusta. Yeah, well, that's that actually yeah, it's actually harder to play that than the Augusta National because I mean it's only open for. A few weeks of the year, and and they have one invitational tournament. I, I don't even think you're going to get into the field this year, Bruce. I mean, you're going to have to pedal really hard down <laughs> to get a spot. Um, with a few uh, minutes remaining in this podcast, it would be good to talk about the partner day at Royal St George's. More than anything, is a bit of a thank you for them having us. But um, we obviously had our spring meeting there last year, and Princes, uh, who, by the way. Don't know if I should say this. I believe they're thinking about a par three course as well. How good would that be? Um, Are they? I believe so. I don't want to say too much. Wowzers. Don't you love it when it all ties together? Mm. Well, exactly. Great minds think alike. Um, 
for the partner day, which was a really, really good idea, I thought, by the club. And something that pretty much any club could pull off. Like, mm. brought together all the people that... I mean, we're not suppliers to Rawson George's. Um, <laughs> Miracle everyone else, invite, really. Everyone else was there. I mean, to be honest, it was lovely. Yeah, <laughs> sort of special treatment. I don't know what we did to deserve that. Um, but really cool how they brought in all the different suppliers. You had people there that supplied the agronomy equipment people that sold the coffee beans, people that sold the eggs to the club, you know, people that work there, whether it's the caddy master. Butcher. Um, yeah, you everything, know. Literally everything. Honestly, to do the, the, guy, the guy that sold the flags experience. and the, the pins. Yeah. And, Amazing, yeah. though. That is such a great... I mean, when you guys were telling me about this when we caught up, sadly I wasn't there, um, and you're telling me, I thought that that is such a brilliant idea, and actually, like, I think so few golf clubs probably do anything like that well, and no. it's like why because that is what a brilliant what a brilliant thing to do to yeah. like what you're trying to create so the whole thing is like you know and, and colin who's recently started there as a secretary is the um previously came from nan worked at carnoustie and tom and i were fortunate to play with him um bloody good golfer as well scary um, good striker yeah absurd in that wind wasn't it really it was truly absurd um and very nonchalant just just sort of flicked it around in par just didn't even break sweat um but he sort of stood up and talked about it and said, like, it's really important that everyone that's sort of feeding into this understands what we're trying to deliver. And it was like, wow, that's a really strong mm. statement of intent. But, and it, it but does I, get you thinking. But also, like, it was just, it was really clever. Or not, maybe, you know, perhaps this isn't by design, but of course it's going to happen by design. Is that, like, you know, we sat down on the table and a few of the, the, the chaps that were on the table next to us, we were kind of first there. Um, one of them provided the buggies, one of them provided the, the, the lawnmower equipment, the other one provided the pins. They'd all met through various circles before, and then suddenly they start talking again, opportunities, oh yeah, we should do that thing, or, you know. And it's kind of like all these different people start like connecting that perhaps don't have the opportunity, or that used to work together, and then they bump into each other, you know. And we got the chance to chat to to Jacob and Peter Millar, which is really, really handy for us and is going to help help us going forward with the spring meeting and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just really good, a good opportunity for all these different people. And I thought it was brilliant, like how literally everyone in the um, the club was involved as well. Like we were lucky enough to stay in the dormy and we stayed up with um, the chef who was, who was the chef who does the absolutely outrageously good lunches there. And I was just picking his brains on all this, like about... You know, the fish. Like, where'd you get the fish from? You know, just like just stupid questions. I, you know, I could have done pods with everybody there. It was just so good. It was yeah, really, but yeah. It's, like, I think it makes a huge difference, though, doesn't it? If you think about all those respective partners that that are there, that I guess in this day and age, it's easy, isn't it, with 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 digital communication, social media, email, all of it, to just you know make these transactions, and it all becomes quite inhuman because you never need to really meet someone in person mm. or it's very very infrequent and you just don't get that kind of camaraderie that team spirit but when you have a day like this and everyone's coming together and they see that they're just you know part of a much larger vision or a much larger kind of goal uh, and to see it all come together like that it must just be brilliant it must just but it just gives you context around. if yeah. you sell coffee beans to Rawson george's and you go there and you have the lunch i'm gonna get you thinking if you supply green keeping equipment to the course and you see how bloody good it is going to get you thinking isn't it and i think all of that was just really smart i think a special mention needs to go um 
to the course was in I've heard a few people that played it, obviously things from the Hewitt, a few people have talked about how good it was. It was it was absolutely outstanding how good mm. the condition was. It was so mm. sharp, like you could have cut your fingers on the bunkers, they were like that. I mean it was it was immaculate and as soon as it was like that, you, those greens, I was like, Oh my god, this is absolutely unbelievable. Um yeah, I was in awe for the course. I think yeah. it's a course that the more you play it, the more you more you see and the, the depths and everything comes out of it. Um yeah, it's just an absolutely outrageously good golf course that. Mm. Yeah, it's a special place, difficult. isn't it? Yeah, we were lucky enough to do our event there last year and, and the people that got involved with the event. You know, I think they all all really enjoyed it. And it was all highlighting highlighting the fact, and I think we should reiterate the fact that Yes, there are visitor days uh, where you can play four balls on Tuesdays, but there are days that you can go uh, as a visitor to Royal St George's and pay play two balls and go for lunch. If you know, if you contact the the club and and say you know this is what you're interested in, you want the experience, you want Jack and Tar lunch and the whole kit and caboodle. You know, the, the club are accommodating uh, for that sort of thing, and the experience is just. You know, Possibly feel, the best lunching golf. Yeah, I feel that, so isn't fortunate it? to be able to go do those things, and you know, I'd, I would recommend it to anybody. But speaking of events, we should probably segue slightly. Um, are we going to plug your retro roundup once I more? Thought I, thought we we should... were, I thought we were going to talk about my golf on a gouty swing. Do you mm. want to do that first? Don't plug I would the say, retro thing. That's I too much. Say, we've done it already. Come on. I would say the the gout patting that you did. So, considering you, you had to stand a bit like like a ballet person in plie, um, <laughs> and you never really got the club further back than your waist, it was quite a remarkable pat, that. It was just sort of, there was no... no well, because I couldn't turn switch. into my left foot. I had my left foot pointing at the target. And I, was I mean, you get that left foot pretty splayed out It's already in 45. Yeah. yeah, no, this was full 90 degrees. And I was just having to pat it because I couldn't put any force into it. So I was like, everything was off the back foot and it was pure patting. I was quite happy with how I struck it, actually. It was actually quite helpful because in that wind, you don't really want to be in there with any yeah. spin. Beware um, the injured golfer. And Jacob, mm. who we played with, and obviously Colin, who were great players. You just see how really good players sort of control their ball in really tough conditions like that and it was pretty impressive to watch you know it goes through the wind it doesn't sail on it you know it goes through it stays with it with intent yeah, I said, there's a real sort of like there's a real thought to how they're how they're approaching it and again you know going back to it when the wind was up and the greens were quick you know there was a few times where all of a sudden maybe when i played it you know last few years or whatever and it's been maybe you know not quite as firm and maybe that's time of year i don't know but you don't really feel too phased when you're out of shape. You still go for the green and it's okay. The 14th, that par five, obviously, you know, I think it's called sewers, isn't it? I hit, hit a decent drive down the right, but it was head on into wind. Didn't fancy hitting my second down the right as well, which is really where you want to be. The wind was so severe. It was like, I'm just going to hit three wood and just bear it out left. I stood over there with 110 yards left to go. And I was like, there's no way I can hold this green on this wind. It's absolutely impossible because the way the greens are pitched against you or sort of pitched running away from you rather in the wind and everything. And it just played brilliantly. You really had to think about where the, where the pins were, the contours within the greens. Magic. And magic. I know you're an incredibly modest individual. Well, you both are. Uh, so I'm not, you, I'm not you, modest. 
Yeah. I think I think that was sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Um you would mention it on on the podcast, but I feel as I I wasn't there, I can tease it out of you. I hear oh, you guys yes. you guys took home the bacon, didn't you? Oh, we, were about about team. Match. we were in the team that won. How much yes. we contributed, I don't know. Well, I don't know the format, so I'm just going to... I think our four. team of four could have won, and me and Tom could have just sat back at the ranch with a glass of white, glass of red wine. And yeah, I, I think, think so. I think <laughs> Colin and Jacob would have taken care of business alone, but yeah. yeah I um, mean, yeah, it was... It, it it was quite a masterclass from Colin, I must say. As we were walking down the aforementioned 14th, I said to him, um, it's quite funny, really. I said to him, come on, Colin, you, you now have to admit this is hard because it must have been like 30 mile an hour winds. It was it was really, really gaily. I said, come on, Colin, you have to admit this is this is tough. And he says, no, it's not. It's not. This is just, it's just windy. I was like, okay. He said, I used to love playing in this because half the people didn't want to play in the wind, so they, they weren't going to win. The other half of the people that were left, half of them couldn't play the wind, so they weren't in it. So you're left with about a quarter of the field that you're competing against. I was like, Christ alive, the guy's an animal. You can take down anybody. Fighting talk. But, yeah, yeah, but he, he was, was I mean, I, I've never seen, well, I've rarely seen so much ball control in wind than, than Corin displayed that yeah, day. Yeah, it was actually genuinely one of the most impressive exhibitions of ball striking I've seen. It was very impressive in those conditions. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, no, very lucky to go. I think I, th I did feel like we had to talk about in this pod because it, it was just in absolutely outstanding condition. Um, special place, bloody good lunch. Like, yeah, just absolutely love it down there. Um, which is obviously where we had our spring meeting last year, and that's now not far away. Spring the 2023 meeting. edition MMXX 111. I'm gonna say yes, yeah, that's sounds right. I'll give you that reasonable. Um, um, yeah, that's going to be quite good, but um, I think we could probably cover that as and when. This is just a little ramble that we've managed to, to get through 40 minutes of just talking absolute nonsense about McDonald's and Burger King. Mm. But More there's a bit of, in, in, yeah, we want a bit of interaction of insight where possible. So, Sam, you've made a shout out about more undiscovered hidden gem par three courses. Mm. And I guess naturally, since that's where the podcast started, were best and worst service stations <laughs> and what mm. you typically go for. You know, <laughs> I, I think there's there's a lot to be learned there. Tom's obviously going through a, a, a clear sugar rush at the moment with uh, wine gums and all sorts of assorted gelatin sweets. Um, what were those snakes we had, Tom? Natural yeah. Sweet Company. Yeah, Natural Sweet Company. Just the snakes right. they did. Absolutely they do super. Honestly, really good. The only really thing that I, I, I tier really one's want. confectionery this was. Yeah, I don't really want to get back into this because I feel. No, like I'm just saying we want to share. You know, if there is any, if there's anything that we're leaving if out, there's any nuggets no, no, no. we need I, to know. I, I, I know what I mean is I don't want to get back to it, but, but I'm going to get back onto it. The only Brilliant. thing about those natural sweets is you, you. I don't know what's the matter with them, but you leave very thirsty. I don't know, like, like you eat it and you're always just very thirsty afterwards. It was the sugar alcohols in them or whatever. Just don't know. They're really, 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 mm -hmm. really nice. So, anyway, um, if you've got any par threes that you, the, the, you think that we'd like, that we'd probably quite like to see them, so send those in. If you think you know any sweets that we might like, let us know. Um, and any service stations to avoid. Also, <laughs> let us know those. Yeah. Just let us know. Or enjoy. It'd be good to do a golfer's... It would be good to do a ranking of service station for the travelling golfer, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah top yeah. 100. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I, do, I think it feels like more of a top 20. 
And I just don't really. think it's T-Bay. I just don't think it is. I think it's too much of the easy shout. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> if you have anything, please do comment. But until next time. Adios. Watch this.